Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Welcome back, everybody. Nuanas now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television. Join me for the Montana Football Hour in Hour 1. If you missed anything of that, a lot of talk about the Grizz, their 48-7 win over Portland State. You can find it on the podcast. Just search N-U-A-N-E-Z on any of your podcasting platforms or go to 1029ESPN.com and just click on the podcast tab. There you'll find it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Podcast proudly presented by Sportsbet Montana. The Wingate by Wyndham Hotel and Blackfoot Communications. Well, it was about 65 degrees when we got there, and I was complaining about how hot I was. And then we almost blew away for about three hours. Somebody hit the ball so far that it carried the green on like a 380-yard par four. <laughs> Anyways, full disclosure, we're recording this on a Sunday night, because if you haven't noticed, first hour, Sean Rainey was here. Riley Corcoran, not. Voice of the Grizz usually joins us on Mondays and Tuesdays, but he is out of town, so he'll be back in the saddle as soon as possible. I'm probably going to try to get him on the show sometime this week because I definitely want his takes on Montana's dominant 48-7 victory over Portland State. But I was golfing at the ranch club with my good buddy, good friend of this show, Kyle Sample, and uh, we were driving up Mullen, and he was like, well, man, I want to give some takes on the Grizz, and we want to talk about Steph Curry a little bit too, so let's just go to the studio. So here we are on a Sunday evening and uh, just doing the Grizz thing 
all over again. Maybe talk some Bobcat stuff, too, because I know Sample, he used to cover the Bobcats. So maybe he has some questions about the very limited amount of what I've seen out of Brent Vegan's first spring ball. But first and foremost, Sample, just give me three takeaways from Saturday's Grizz game because uh, we broke it down quite a bit, shared a lot of sound in the first hour, but uh, you were in the stands, so your view from, first of all, what section were you in? 127, east did, side. Did you go to Central Washington game too? No, I was in Whitefish. That's right, okay. So I was, it seemed from the press box, there was the, the attendance was almost identical. I think there was like 4,400 and change the first Saturday and like 4,600 and change this last Saturday. But it seemed to me like it was way louder this last Saturday. Not that it was loud. It was nowhere comparable to a normal uh, Washington Grizzly Stadium game, but it did seem like it was a little bit louder. I mean, was it? I mean, was it at all noticeable uh, when you were like when when things were going well? I was close to the student section, um, and they got into it at times, which is great. I mean, it was just sweet to have a student section there. It seemed, it seemed like there was a, a an okay student section too, right? Yeah, it was kind of weird how they did it. They like spaced them out across the whole end zone, which I don't know if you pack them in. I don't know if that's any better. Who knows? Sure. Um, but they got into it, but you could also tell that Grizz football fans were rusty because they tried to start the Montana Grizzlies chant when the Grizz had the ball near the north end zone, which is like, what What are we doing making noise when your team has the ball? What's going on with that? Why would you ever do <laughs> right, that? Right. Totally. And, and maybe they just they're rusty, about- you know? They haven't been in a sporting event in... Sure, maybe they thought it was just going to be negligible just because there wasn't that many people there either, right? Yeah, I mean, they they seemed a little tuned up, and they, they some of them were pretty loud. <laughs> some of them were dancing. It was fun to watch them. It was hilarious, really. No question. Um, we, we gave a lot of takes on this in the first hour, but um, sorry, I derailed you. you. Just three general takeaways from this game, because I thought, I mean, I think that everybody that was there the Grizz look good. I wrote my game story, SkyOnSportsMT.com, basically highlighting all of the standout moments of this truncated spring season, but also saying that it was kind of like the fact that they had improved so much in so many different areas, and they still left something to be desired. There's a still a lot of improvement left to be made, too. I think that's a great source of optimism heading into the offseason. Yeah. Um, number one, I thought the offensive line rose to the occasion. I mean, just having watched Bobby Houck teams for, I mean, how many how many years total has he coached Grizz teams? Ten. So I guess, so you tell me this. As print journalists, we abide by uh, AP style a lot or style books in general. Oftentimes, you refer to coaches by the year, right? So you know, thirty eighth year head coach Robin Selvig, or when Bobby Houck was in his last season, the first go round, seventh year head coach Bobby Houck. So tell me this. We're going to refer to Bobby Houck as the fourth-year Grizz head coach, even though this is his third season. Do you agree? Is that how it should be? Because he's been the head coach for four years. He just missed the 2020 season, but he was the head coach of the program during the time, right? Yeah, you should just put an asterisk. <laughs> right, right. So this is his 11th, 11th year 11th. on the job, and this will be his 10th season. Okay, so so covering or watching 10 iterations of Bobby Houck teams, right. I'm pretty sure that they watched what happened last week with the run game, and were like, look, that's not okay. Obviously, we're not good with anything that happened there. This Portland State team does some weird stuff. Focus and communication is going to be of utmost importance, and I bet they just challenged the offensive line every single day and made that a focus of preparation. And to see the offensive line rise to that occasion and and um, just pound the ball, I mean, 
almost six yards a carry, right? Uh, five and a half yards per carry. The, the yards per carry went down in the fourth quarter because Xavier Harris kind of got that hard shot to the hip. They, yeah. they took Osmo out of the game. Drew Turner's been banged up for most of the spring, but then he got inserted in the game. He didn't do quite as well, but they were playing a couple, uh, and mostly actually backup offensive linemen, too, including a couple guys that have been kind of banged up, too, that didn't play the first week. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's the number one takeaway for me in terms of the coaching element of this team. It's very clear that they're very good at diagnosing weaknesses and then working on those weaknesses because I thought the backs showed little to no patience against Central Washington. They showed great mm-hmm. patience against Portland State. Xavier Harris, especially. Great patience, yeah. right? I thought that the offensive line showed very little pop against Central Washington. They showed great pop against Portland State. I think part of that, though, too, is also scouting. Central Washington had a new defensive coordinator. They hadn't played more than a year and a half. So Montana didn't know what they were going to run. So I do think it took them a little while to figure out what they were going to run. That's a really good point. And Portland State, uh, uh, under Payam Sudat, the defensive coordinator, they'd run this flex defense for like four or five years. So even just since Bobby Hawk's been back, he's seen it twice. Right. I think that's the other testament is that the flex completely screwed Montana up in 2018. And that's why Montana lost that game. I mean, Dalton Sneed played arguably his worst half, certainly his worst half as a non-injured player uh, of his two years as the Grizz quarterback. And then year two, 2019, of the Hauk era, when they were in Hillsboro, they shredded the flex. Yeah, and Cam and Dalton Sid wasn't even in the game. He was out, and and Cam Humphrey still, still, still shredded. But I agree, uh, improvements in the run game for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so number two, what else did you think? Overall talent. Way is, more talent. Su- is at such a high level. I mean, there's talent... Everywhere, everywhere, and there's question marks because you're a football team. But like, I don't have a ton of question marks, honestly, right now. Watching them, like, what did they? What did they finish the spring? One fifteen to ten, a uh, hundred and seven to ten. Yes, hundred and seven to ten. So they gave. I think they. I think they had close to. I, I, actually, I think they exceeded fifty first downs. They gave up twenty. They gained. Uh, more than a thousand yards of total offense, and gave up I think 471. Wow! So they just uh, they dominated. Yeah, and I mean you could say, oh, well, they played a Division two team, and then they played a mid tier Big Sky team. But if you are going to be an elite team, you dominate teams that are less than you, and they did that. They didn't have like there weren't times really where they were really like pushed to the limit you know for like, sure and, the they, and they had, Central Washington, they had almost say, no mistakes too like yeah they had one broken play the double move the Portland State scored their only touchdown on other than that a bad interception Humphrey so we're going to get to that in a minute but uh the the majority of their mistakes were operational mistakes by their fifth year senior quarterback mm-hmm. other than that I thought they were like unbelievably clean and efficient yeah which is at this point not surprising to me with Hauk teams he just gets teams to just lock in and focus. And, like, his ability to do that, and if they're at this level already, and the other hallmark of his teams is that they get better throughout the season, if they're at this level already and they can carry that over to summer through summer workouts and then into fall camp and then hit the ground running and then they get better throughout the season, they're going to be really, really good. I've thought about this a lot. Because you and I and, and a lot of people around the community, around Western Montana, around the state of Montana, have debated this a lot. One of the things that have uh, that have regressed for the Grizz since that first Hauk era, over the last 10 years, you know, like when they, they've been good the last 10 years, but nowhere close to what they were the first, the 15 years prior to that, because they were almost peerless from 90, 93 probably until 2009. Yeah. 
17 straight playoff appearances, you know, 12 straight conference titles, yada, yada, yada. One of the number one questions we always get, though, is has the talent regressed, and if so, in what ways? And I think that the thing that changed so much when Coach Houck left the first time, and then by the time the program had almost none of his players or, or culture, is not necessarily the headliner guys. I actually think like the 8 to 10 best guys on the Grizz have been 8 to 10 of the best players in the league mm-hmm. every year. And whether it's Tyrone Holmes or Zach Wagaman or Brock Coyle or Jody Tripp or you know, Jordan Canada, Jordan Johnson, Ellis Henderson, Jamal Jones, I mean, on down the line, these guys are first-team all-league talents. Yeah, It's the other guys. It's, it's the guys. Here's the thing right now, and this is why Montana has a chance to be so much better. They don't have any defensive linemen that are as good as Wagaman or Holmes or Kidder or Tonga Takai or, you know, maybe Jesse Sims. I don't know. But but they have seven guys that are better than anybody else that played alongside those guys. You know what I mean? You could put Alfred maybe up in that crew, right? Yeah, Alfred is, is definitely... Um, about to be a breakout guy for sure. I mean, I but think that, still, I get your point. Well, I, well, and they, and they, and don't go, don't get me wrong. They have multiple guys that have like unbelievable talent. I mean, Jacob McGoring has unbelievable potential. He's just not there quite yet because he's only a redshirt freshman. And I mean, I think that actually, here's the thing. I think that they're two FBS DNs though. I think Joe Babros and Justin Belknap. Those guys are, like, if we're talking Madden ratings or, like, NCAA football ratings or whatever, like, those guys are both, like, you know, high 80s or, or low 90s. They're good. They're good. Yeah. But you'd say that, like, Wagaman or Holmes, like, their senior year, those guys are, like, 98s. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. But the, here's the thing that, but, like, if you're talking Madden ratings, though, here's the thing is that Eli Alford, Alex Gubner, Jacob McGoring, uh, Braden Deming, like every single one of those guys is like a mid '80s guy, like mm-hmm. like an '83 to an '86, and that's the biggest difference. Is it used to be you had multiple '74 starting, and then the backup guys you can't really play them because they're like '72s or '70s or whatever. Right. Like that's the other place they got so much better. Like at corner, to keep this analogy going, like Justin Ford's like a '90. Maybe, that may, maybe, I mean, he's I don't good. get to see him. He, I haven't he, seen him very often. So he's, he's really good, man. They're slow playing it. Like, they're playing him with the twos to make him earn it because he's like the four star, you know, FBS transfer, Louisville, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at, though, is they now have four corners on their team that were better than any of the corners they've had in the last couple of years. I think those two young corners, they're both like good. They're both, you know, low to mid 80 guys right now. Within even just another off season of training and like even just a couple more game reps, those guys are better than a lot of guys. Not even just the last two years, but what they've had even just like the last a while. I mean, they haven't had that good of corners for a while. That's what's that's one of the things that's been missing in Montana so much, right? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I really like Corbin Walker. He's he's athletic. He's smooth. I think that So kid is good too. Anshay So, he's the true freshman from Utah. What number is that? Uh, he's twenty three. Oh he's yeah, the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the other number two corner with. Uh, he definitely stood out. Justin I just Ford. didn't know his name. Yeah, he. I mean, he, he was a good get. What I a think big hit. He did have a big hit. Yeah, I, my brother and I were talking about that element too. That's the other thing is, Bobby Houck has got the thing back where everybody goes so hard because you have to go hard and because everybody's going hard. You know what I mean? Like when everybody's swarming like that. The true freshman has no choice. Like he has to step up to the plate because he's seeing what the level is. Yeah. But there's so many different things about the improvement of their defense that I think th- this is why when coaches say "quote unquote" stats are for losers, it's so true. 
Dante Olsen had so many tackles the last two years. Robbie Houck has had so many tackles the last two years. Chase Lewis has had a lot of tackles, especially last year, but the last two years. Those guys had like more than one-third of the tackles of the entire defense, though. Partially because of scheme, partially because of talent, and partially because of necessity, right? And I think that the improvement in so many different elements of their team, I don't think they're going to have anybody that has these gaudy tackle numbers this year. Robbie Houck has had to have hardly any tackles the first two weeks, but that's a good thing mm-hmm. based on, it's a testament to what you're saying, just, just the improved overall talent. But I do, I do, I think that they are way better. And it's not just like the star guys, because they actually don't have as many of those like 95 and above guys as even they've had in the last handful of years, they just have so many like pretty darn good guys, right? Yeah, from top to bottom, what they've been able to do to get talent on this roster and get depth um, is really impressive in just three years. I mean, they have overhauled the entire program. Seems like there's a, brand, a new culture. For sure. Um, I don't know. They just seem like they're a top tier team, and you just didn't get that feeling for the last ten years or so. I think. And then I guess my third one, um, it's a split. Three, three and a half. So I got two points. Um, one thing I thought was awesome was how excited they would get, like as a team. So excited. As a, especially on the defensive end. Um, I remember, uh, I think Ford made a play on the sideline late in the game. Like the game was already out of hand. And he made a play on the sideline to like force a punt. They don't even need to do this. They were up by like 40 already. Um, and everybody on the defense ran over and celebrated with him. Like, everybody. Everybody. Which was sweet to see because, like, it's an inconsequential play, but, you know, Ford is fired up about it because it was a sweet play on his part, and, like, the secondary got there first, and then the lineback- and then the defensive line got there, and it was like, wow, they, they're pretty locked in. And, like, to see a team locked in in April when you're playing two games that don't matter, really, is pretty sweet. Especially if you're just a huge Grizz fan, you know, it's awesome. Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV. Kyle Sample, good friend of the show, formerly of the Missoulian, the Helena Independent Record, Bozeman Chronicle, Skyline Sports, all the above, you know. Good sports writer, buddy. Joining me, we're doing this actually on a Sunday night because, you know, Kyle's got a full time real job, too. But he was at the Grizz games. We wanted to get some thoughts from him. But, yeah, that exuberance is, is so key. I mean, I, I think that that's – it takes a minute to build that culture because it stems from all elements of it, right? Like, you got to be celebrating each other in the weight room, in the locker room, you know, whatever, whatever it is. That was a sweet point you made the other day about culture in the in the weight room. It's so it's big, big, man. It's so big. You, you, you have to have it. And uh, – I think Montana has it back. The other thing is Bobby Houck is perhaps at his most authentic when he's talking to the media, when he's expressing how much he loves football. He truly loves the game of football. Football is a great game, and I'm glad we played it today. He said that each of the last two weeks in his opening statement. But he's got that love of the game, that love of competing, that love of partying on the pile that is so trademarked for the Grizz. He's got that instilled in his team. I mean, Patrick O'Connell after the Central Washington game and Jace Lewis after the Poland State game basically echoed each other. They both were like, you know, somebody just asked him the cliche, you know, what was it like to be back out there? You haven't played in 17 months, 485 days, I think what it was by the time the Central game rolled around. 
And they both almost said word for word the same thing. That's why we're here, to play football. And that got lost at Montana in a lot of different forms and fashions. And I think that you know, there is validity to the academic portion of everything. And that's the other thing that's always been so underrated about Coach Houck. His teams have always been among, if not the best, academic teams in the league. They led the league in GPA seven years in a row. They had multiple academic All-Americans. I argued that on this show multiple times when Coach Houck was coming back. People want to remember some of the guys he recruited that got in trouble, whatever. And it's a valid point to bring up. But you also got to remember when, you know, Lauren Utterback was wearing number 37 and starting at outside linebacker and playing at all big sky level and also was an academic All-American in the pharmacy school, you know? When you got multiple academic all-conference, I mean, they had like 35-plus academic all-conference guys, so they're taking care of that side of it as well. But I, I do, I think that you can see just the cohesiveness of the culture. One of the most fascinating parts of this whole evolution is that we've talked about this as well with many of Houck's former players, Chase Reynolds, Cole Anderson, all those guys have said this on the show. Bobby Houck's coaching tactic used to be to be the common enemy, to, you know, we respect Coach Huck, but we don't know if he likes us, uh, We and we're going to try to prove him wrong. And he was always putting things out. You know, you and I are both good friends with Austin Mullins, right? He didn't put Austin on full scholarship until he was a senior, and he'd already been an all-conference player. Like, Kevin Claybo is a good friend of mine, too. It's same situation, like, made him earn it. And all those guys were so questioning of, of what the – what the status was. I don't think anyone would have said they loved Coach Hawk when they were playing for him back then. They loved winning. They loved the system. They loved the program. But um, there was, and they respected the hell out of the coaches, but there was not a lot of, of, of love there. The thing that I find so fascinating about this time around is that, I mean, I, I don't know everybody on this team. I obviously have not been close to them in a long time because it has been COVID. But I do know a lot of the Montana guys, and I have run into them around town, and I always make sure to go talk to them, you know, the in-state guys. And they love Coach Elk. It's not just that they love the program and the discipline and all that. They actually truly love Bobby. And I think part of that is just his evolution, both not only as a coach, but just as a man too, right? Because, I mean, he's a dad now. I was going to say, do you think he likes that? Seriously, though. So I mean, I maybe, maybe he does. I mean, like you're saying, evolution. Maybe he does, but it's just like what you said. I mean, I remember Mullins coming home for practice, and it would be like, he. I mean, he looked like he hated it. For sure. Yeah. Well, And the first time around, too, though, there was a lot of things that Montana didn't have that Bobby Houck wanted to have, needed to have, and uh, expected to have. I mean, for example, Bobby Houck won seven straight Big Sky championships. He was 80 and 17 at Montana. He went 47 and 6 in the Big Sky Conference. He went 31 and 1 his last four years. Went to the national championship game three times in seven seasons. No multi year contract because it wasn't allowed in Montana. And he used to always complain about that. But that's a valid argument. He, as a guy at that time that had kids in middle school slash high school that are about to be college age, he should have some sort of job security, right? And it yeah. wasn't as if he was going to lose it. Obviously, if you go to the national championship, you're not losing your job. But it was a valid argument. It, it was, it, you know, and they had promised him things like the weight room upgrade, the champion center, all that stuff. And it just happened to not happen until like 10 years down the road. But I think that's the other place that their program has taken such a huge jump is that Hauk is settled in the advantages that he always knew he needed and wanted, they have the resources to pay the best coaches. They have the champion center. They have all of these things. So then now how do they rebuild just the on-the-field stuff? But I, I, I totally agree with your point. Like The fact that they were running the ball playing with such uh, enthusiasm, imagine what that's like in front of 
25,000 people. Oh, yeah. Especially because half those guys have never even played in a game at Montana. So, like, if they're giving that sort of effort early, it's going to be ridiculous when they're sold out. When yeah. sold out. Yeah. I thought you said something, too, earlier today um, when Forbes went down because um, you were kind of watching the reaction to him to see if it was if it was serious or not. Um, the the reception from every player on the team going right. over and saying something to him like I don't know that that happens under Bob Stitt. Honestly, like I, maybe it does because the players are you know they respect each other and they're they look at each other different. But like I don't know that there was a tightness like it, there seems to be, and it's it's only uh, April, so if they can cover or carry that over to through summer. Um, all the voluntary workouts and stuff, it just seems like so many more guys are going to be part of that stuff because they just want to be. No question. So you want to go three and a half. What's your three last and a half. one? Um, why didn't Chris Brown throw the ball? I know there's a lot of different... Uh, man. A lot of different takes on that. A lot of different ways you could speculate yes. it, right? Yeah. Which I love doing now because I'm a fan. I, I mean, speculate Ma- all the time. Montana's... I mean, Cam Humphrey, Montana's senior quarterback, had just been knocked out of the game. Quite literally, he got knocked out and was out of the game. Montana had a substantial lead at that point. It was midway through the, the third quarter, and they were already up, I believe, 33-7. to seven. No, 34-7. to seven. A lot. They were and, a lot. and the running backs were getting a little bit of rhythm. So you could just say it was as simple as Bobby Hawkins wanted to prove that they could have a 78-yard drive that included 12 straight run plays. Yeah. Or, you know... Chris Brown's in the game not not because it's his turn, but because somebody got knocked out in front of him. So you want to ease him in. So you just you, that's what you run. Maybe that's what the the flex defense was giving him pre snap look. There's all that stuff. Um, or you know you're saying you don't trust this guy as a retro freshman playing against the flex. So you don't you don't want to take the risk. Or you're saying nobody has any film on this guy against a Division one opponent. Maybe we don't want to put anything on film. So there's a lot of different ways it could have gone. There's a lot of different ways you could spin it. Or you could say there's not really a quarterback competition. There's always going to be a competition at pretty much every position when Coach Alk is the coach. I mostly agree with you on that. But I just, all those points that you made, all those variables that it could be, all those things that they possibly did with Chris Brown, all of them could be true, right? Sure just seems a little strange. Like, you got this guy who's a redshirt freshman who looked good against uh, a Division II opponent this sure. first game. And if there's a quarterback competition, what better opportunity to see what he can do than against a team in your own conference in live game action when we both know, and everybody who follows sports knows that there's some guys who just are different in a game. Just 100% are different. So, if that's the case... It seemed like a perfect opportunity to see it. More on a potential quarterback competition or lack thereof. Plus more analysis out of this Portland State Montana game. Maybe gets us some Bobcats, maybe some Steph Curry. We'll see. We're rolling. But keep it right here. 1029 ESPN Missoula. SWX Montana TV. It's Nuanas now. SportsBet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for SportsBet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. 
Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. my radio idol or one of love freddie coleman late at night right here on espn radio and now here we are doing a little sunday stuff we were just hanging out all day and uh we were talking about it all day and we were coming back right by the espn missoula studio and so we just decided hey let's just pull in riley corcoran's not going to be here today and so let's just bust out you know, one two maybe three segments of the show so here we are nuana is now 1029 espn missoula SWX Montana Television, Kyle Sample, joining me, Coulter Nuanas. We're talking all things Grizz. Maybe go down the Bobcat Road for a minute, a, a little, little bit later on, or maybe uh, maybe talk some NBA as well. Just depends on how this goes. But we were talking about the quarterbacks. We actually talked for 25 minutes without getting the quarterbacks, which impressive uh, for both of us. But uh, Montana has, I think, a good that could be. Pretty good. I don't know if it could be elite, but a good offensive line. They have certainly very good and borderline and probably will be elite receivers. I think that they have good running backs. It depends on uh, how Isaiah Childs is and how he fits in the mix. Former three-star recruit who's transferred to Montana from Akron. If you haven't heard Marcus Knight, who set the single-season touchdowns record at Montana last year, he tore his knee before these spring games even started, so he is out indefinitely. Uh we don't know when. I mean, that surgery has progressed a lot, so he might be able to make it back by late October, early November. Who knows? But um, regardless, Nick Ostbo, a sophomore, and Xavier Harris, a freshman, are the two main ball carriers now, but they are bringing in this Akron transfer, Isaiah Childs. But uh, I think that if Childs is good, that could make their running backs pretty good. I, I think that they're... I think that they're very good at most offensive positions, and their receivers are elite. I think their offensive coaching is elite as well. So then, therefore, I think that Cam Humphrey is serviceable. Uh, and I, I want to see more from Chris Brown. But here's something that I presented to Mike Nugent, who swings by every once in a while to talk all things sports, but a lot, a lot of times Grizz football. I said, well, if you're going to have um, some ups and downs, some, some mistakes that are basically based upon you know, confidence and savvy more than physical skill or athleticism, then wouldn't you want, if you're going to have headaches with both the senior and the freshman, wouldn't you just want to go with the freshman? I mean, what say you? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, because I mean, most, of, most of Humphrey's mistakes are, you can see, are, it's not operational. It's, it's like confidence wise, or I don't know, you, you, you're an X's and O's guy. It seems to me they have the majority of his reads built in. I mean, he's kind of like a one, two, three, go. Yeah. I mean, sometimes he just seems to miss on his progression or he locks in, which is like, it's hard to criticize a quarterback at this level of doing that because, like, unless you are really elite, 
um, at this level, you're probably not getting through all your progressions, right? Like, you might have a tendency to lock in on a guy and just, like, throw to that guy, especially as good as some of these receivers are. I don't really blame him for sometimes locking in on Sammy Akem. I, I would for too. sure. I would, too. Um, but, yeah, sometimes it just seems like he just, like, uh, he doesn't get to the level that you want him to. And that's why I wonder... I totally agree. I do think he, he stares some guys down. I do love the added element they have in the offense where they have almost a, an automatic check down to running backs because Cam Humphrey completed a lot of passes, probably, I don't know, I'd say 10 to 15 passes over the last two weeks that were, you know, quick reads, check it down. Give it to the guy in the flat. You know, you either have a receiver out in the flat or a running back out in the flat. I think that's good progression of their offense. But I, I do think, too, though, he gets locked in on guys, but I also think sometimes, I, I correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, what did you see on the pick after Malik Flowers blocked the punt, oh. and then they went they went to the back pylon for a touchdown strike? To me, what I saw was a pre-snap cover two shell that was very obvious. Portland State definitely thought they were going to run the ball, but also had it completely baited so that if they do throw the deep ball, they got it. And it looked to me like it was just Bobby Houck or you know Tim Roosevelt, whatever. They wanted to just snap the ball, throw it up, like just go for the jugular. But they just didn't. There was no read involved. I think Cam was just instructed to throw to that spot. It wasn't that he threw into coverage. He just that was that was the play. Yeah. It was a pre-installed read. You know that what I mean? Could very well be the thing. That's like something that us as fans we make these criticisms, but we don't always know what they're told in the huddle, right? Like they. I mean, even though this game doesn't matter, obviously Coach Houck wants to win. That's all he ever wants to do, right? So, uh, I mean, maybe they did tell him like, "There's blood in the water. Let's hit this. Let's hit this for a touchdown. Let's just go for it." Even though, I mean, you gotta listen to your coaches, but like that was so obviously not gonna work. And that was just a. I, I think Cam would tell you too. That was just a bad throw. Like if for you're sure. gonna make that throw, you gotta you gotta put it up and you gotta give it, your guy a chance. And uh, it, it didn't look like he got any air under the ball. So for, it was like for sure. So I don't know, bad decision or not. Uh, it just seemed obvious, like you couldn't throw there. For sure, and that's um, that's the most interesting part is that I think this is something that it, it, it takes watching so much football and understanding a lot of the, the strategic and coaching elements of it. But there's quarterbacks at the very highest level, which is how they are in the NFL, that choose a lot of their plays at the line on their own. Or, or they have pre-installed checks. Or they're calling two to three plays in the huddle and they can read the pre-snap coverage and, and adjust. There's guys that, you know, maybe you, when it, the one, two, three B, that's like the most basic level of college football quarterbacking now, right? You go through your reads, one, two, three me. And that's why you like the running quarterbacks because boom, 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 take off. That simplifies it quite a bit. Cam Humphrey is not that good of a runner. And so the one, two, three me is oftentimes the check down. But that first game against Central Washington, I, I put this stat on Twitter. Cam Humphrey completed, I think, four or maybe even five passes when the Grizz had the ball in the red zone that then the receiver was tackled inside the five-yard line for not a touchdown. In other words, that's very clear to me when it's that big of a trend that 
that's exactly what the defense is giving you. Basically, they're saying, we're not giving you the over the top. We're not giving you over the middle. We're not giving you the run. We're going to make you check down to this guy, and then we're going to swarm and tackle. Mm-hmm. And so then, so that's just where I'm at with Humphrey is that I don't. I mean, he's not the guy that's going to change it all at the line right out the gates. I, I do think they just have a lot of simplicity installed in the offense. So, you know, I just don't know what the upside then is for a quarterback like that. Yeah, uh, what you were saying is, if he was told to go to that guy in the huddle, right? as a coach, do you want a quarterback who's just going to listen to you say that? Or do you want the guy who sees that, sees it's not going to happen, and then goes elsewhere? I would think you'd want the latter, right? Because sure, it just it was going to be a tough play. And like, was it to a cam? Was the throw to a cam? I, no, it's to Mitch Roberts. Okay, Mitch is a great athlete. Who, by the, by the way, <laughs> Mitch Roberts, he ended up this two spring games, I think, with like two or three catches. He had the, the operational errors of specifically Cam Humphrey, but the quarterbacks in general, cost Mitch Roberts a lot. Like they, that opening script, they dialed up. It was either the third or fourth play of the very first game for him on like a deep post to be a touchdown, and Cam Humphrey overthrew it. Mm-hmm. They also tried to throw him a touchdown on the fourth down in the second quarter, and Humphrey also overthrew that. And then he also overthrew him, I think, once or even twice in the first half on Saturday, too. So what I'm saying is that Mitch Roberts had a great spring. It, and he would have had one or even two touchdowns. Maybe he's one of the guys we're talking about as a rising star. Those are the little things. Those are the little details. Anyways. I mean, the other part of this is because we didn't get to see Chris Brown throw a lot, we don't know that he wouldn't have made similar decisions in those situations. So it's it's tough. It's just tough as a fan to not know all the backup things. And I think Sean Rainey actually tweeted about this. Like, we just don't know all the things that are being said all the time, right? Um we don't know all the reads that they're supposed to go to based on the look. So it's hard to criticize, but just when I watched Chris Brown in that Central Washington game, he just, like, jumped off the TV to me. Like, that first throw he made where he rolled out to the left, squared sure. his hips, effortlessly, effortlessly made that throw sure. to the sideline. That's a tough throw. Nuanez now, ESPN Missoula, 102.9 FM. Or maybe you're watching on TV, SWX Montana Television. Kyle Sample joining us. We're recording this on a Sunday night. So if you're watching and you're just listening in, because I'm not standing in here right now. I know, it's a trip. But uh, it's not... So much of it's an intangible thing too, right? Like there's a lot of young quarterbacks that you know, have arm talent or, you know, have potential or whatever. And so much of playing quarterback at the Division One level is figuring out savvy, composure, leadership, you know, all that stuff. Every level. Every level, no question. And, again, we only got to see Chris Brown for a, a, a brief amount of time when he had a 35-point lead against a Division Two team in a spring game, yada, yada, yada. But I, I just thought that there's a lot of the, the savvy portion of it that he showed, too. I mean, th- this is something I've analyzed the last couple of years with the Bobcats. Like, they have multiple guys who are, are talented. I mean, Casey Bauman is one of the strongest arms I've ever seen in my life. He's six foot seven. I mean, he looks like Ben Roethlisberger. He'd throw the ball a country mile. But in terms of being able to call the play with authority in the huddle and not stutter and like have his guys trust him and take like command. take command. And when it's the check down, you don't throw a 400 miles per hour. Like you have the good savvy to be able to do it. All that sort of stuff, you can see it pretty early, especially if you know what you're looking for. And that was the part about Brown that impressed me. Yeah, I just thought he was just. In that game that we got to see, everything that I watched, I was like, okay, I'm, I want this guy. Like, nothing against Cam Humphrey. He's very good and doesn't have to be great for the Grizz to be really good this year. But there was just something about Chris Brown watching him that I found very impressive. The best part of this, though, is that 
this is going to give Egris content that we can keep reading throughout the summer, and that's never a bad thing. It's, it's never a bad thing. That is that is the absolute truth. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one more break and uh, rap about this a little more. Nuana's now 1290 ESPN Missoula. Back after this. No Steph Curry? We'll get there. The world may have slowed down, but it didn't stop. If you're back on the road and traveling to Missoula, we invite you to give Missoula's Wingate a try. We love our regular corporate guests and offer fantastic service, great year-round rates, and clean and comfortable rooms that will keep you coming back. While you're here, you can rack up the Wyndham Rewards points for free nights or airline miles. And starting in July, you can release some steam in our newly expanded fitness room. The team at Missoula's Wingate would love to make you feel at home experimenting here on Nuanez now, and I hope you're enjoying it. Did a little pre-record yesterday because we had a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. Appreciate Kyle Sample for swinging by. If you're missing in this show, Montana Football Hour with Sean Rainey in hour number one. Talked all things Grizz and Portland State. And then in hour two, we've been talking Grizz, Bobcats, and uh, maybe a little bit of NBA here in a minute. But if you missed anything in the show, you can find it in the podcast. Just search Nuanez, N-U-A-N-E-Z. Find the Nuanez now. Please rate, review, subscribe. The podcast is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications, as well as the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel and Sportsbet Montana. Tomorrow, Riley Corcoran will still be out of town, so Sean Randy will be joining us uh, again for hour number one. Also going to maybe have Tucker Sargent swing by. University of Montana lacrosse team had a huge win, I guess a pair of huge wins, over um, North Dakota State in Fargo over the weekend. And... Uh, so Tucker probably going to swing by. We also have Justin Angle stopping by as well. Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, uh, remains out of town. Just trying to get this last little bit here uh, from last night. And here we go. for One more piece of thought from Kyle Sample from last night. Michael Jordan and the World He Made by David Halberstam. That's the one you got to get into. Sample was looking at my uh, my books. I have all, a lot of my sports books here, and a lot of times we implement them as visual elements of the show for our great broadcast partners, SWX Montana Television. And uh, it is fascinating analyzing that portion of the NBA history. You were talking about this podcast. Kyle Sample joining me here on Nuanas Now, 1290 ESPN Missoula. What's it called? The Death of the Wing? Death at the Wing. Death at the Wing, okay. So... It's actually funny because uh, our weekly segment, The Chick Who Doesn't Know Sports, with our good friend Carolyn, is funny and full of brevity, and it leads us into the world of the the really top-level, national-level uh, sporting narratives and uh, the crossover with pop culture, too. But it also stimulates some of the best conversations. And Carolyn and I were talking about the NBA and then the NBA merger and like people don't realize that the NBA has been a professional sporting league since what the mid forties and was largely irrelevant for arguably the first half almost of its existence. It really was not relevant until the NBA ABA merger in terms of on a national level. They didn't start getting network TV games for the regular season or the playoffs until uh, the late 1970s or early 1980s. And uh, it is fascinating. There's so many different factors that go into it. 
you know the uh, the the racial element, the the marketability, the dominance of college basketball, college football, all of those things. But this is interesting, right? Because there was this great group of guys who played on the wing in the world of basketball between you know just call it early seventies through mid eighties. And very many of them are not remembered how they're supposed to be remembered, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the podcast talks about some of these guys and like how the NBA was trying to shift towards that because the ABA clearly had an idea of where basketball had to go for the future, right? They had the three-point game. They started playing above the rim more. Uh, they started playing faster. And the NBA was like, oh, obviously we have to do that. They merge. They get players like Julius Irving. Um, they start adopting this faster style. Magic Johnson comes in. Larry Bird comes in. Sure. Michael Jordan comes in. Julius Serving is the greatest example of this, right? I mean, he he was sort of toiling in mid-major college basketball and then sort of toiling in the ABA, and then he finally came to the NBA and became this great star. I don't think he's toiling in the ABA. I mean, he was the guy. Like they, oh, he was the both, guy, for both sure. leagues wanted him. But, but, but it's like, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's worth remembering that uh, neither league was it, – it was both leagues were niche still at the point, right? Like they weren't pop culture – no, popular the NBA like nobody watched it like if you right. listen to people who lived in Boston in the seven in the 60s and 70s when the Celtics were running through and winning championship after championship nobody in Boston talked about the Celtics right they didn't sell out Red Sox Bruins yeah all uh, the above yeah they were the last team you know and uh, all that started to change in the 80s and this podcast is just so good about talking about the problems that the NBA had how it affected players and like the politics of the time that affected all this stuff. And it's, if you're looking for a podcast, there's only four episodes right now. It's narrated by Adam McKay, who uh, did uh, The Big Short, also Anchorman. So he's funny, but he also is an NBA guy. And like, there's only four episodes, but it is fascinating. Nuanez Now. If you missed anything in Nuanez Now today, good lineup. Talked a lot of Grizz football, Grizz spring season in the books. Heard from Bobby Houck, Bruce Barnum, head coaches from the game on Saturday, as well as Jace Lewis and Nick Osmo, his uh, radio debut, press conference debut, as it were. If you want to find the podcast, all you got to do is go to uh, 1029ESPN.com, click on the podcast tab, or you can search N-U-A-N-E-Z on any of your podcasting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe. Five stars is preferred. The podcast proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications, Sportsbet Montana, and the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. There's a lot more Grizz stuff I want to talk about, and we maybe we'll we'll keep busting these out for later on in the week. But you had a couple things to say about Stephen Curry. So Steph Curry has been on a tear. I saw a tweet today. I'm not going to get the numbers right because I didn't memorize it fully. But it basically the basic premise is he's hit more threes. It was either this this week or this month than like five or six NBA teams combined. He's had something like 33s in a, is it within a week or what, what was the statistic? Do you remember? I think he's hit uh, 44 threes in his last five games. That's just absurd. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, just to put it in perspective, how absurd that is, that's an average of what? Uh, nine? About yes. nine threes a game, yes. right? Um, games with 10 threes in NBA history. There are, I think, like seven players or something like that who've done it. The Steph Curry is at 20. Unreal. The next highest is uh, Clay Thompson at five and Steph Curry just this season. Steph Curry also has two just in like the last week. I think he's had like, I think he's been like, his hit 11 threes in two separate games just this week. And if you didn't see what he did against Boston, they lost. 
but just go watch the highlights and see some of these shots that he hit. I just think like he gets lost so often this year because they're not very they're good. terrible. And James terrible. Wiseman is tur- towards ACL, so that's going to give Steph more production, but also make it so that they're even farther out of the playoff race. Right. So a lot of people are not seeing what Steph Curry is doing, but his numbers are absurd, especially over the last like 50 games. But if you look over the last like 10 games, I think he's shooting like 52% from three. And he's putting up like like 12 to 15 a game. So it's not like easy threes. And there's nobody else to guard on that team. Sure. Like I saw a, a picture of a, the Celtics. Picked him up at half court with two guys. It's silly. And I also think that it's so silly that Steph Curry won, was it consecutive or just two overall? Consecutive, MVPs? one consecutive, unanimous. Con- the only guy ever to win a unanimous MVP. And and I think that there's seven or eight players in NBA history that have won consecutive MVPs, so he's in rare air there. And then when he didn't win another one, and when it, then all of a sudden he had like this internal reputation around the NBA as like not good enough, and it was just interesting. We're going to get to that a little later because I do think it's a it's a revelation for the psychology of many uh, basketball players. Period, but but particularly NBA players. It's all the time we got. Check back with us tomorrow, four to six every single weekday, right here on one hundred two ninety ESPN Missoula Statewide Television SWX Montana TV. We'll see you then. Sean Rainey be back tomorrow. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Have yourself a wonderful evening. I'm so proud of myself for my math that I did there. But uh, we added it all up, those three pre-recorded segments, and it's actually about a minute short of our actual out. But like I said, Sean Rainey, SFX Montana Television, is going to join us tomorrow, as is Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor. He uh, comes by every other week for a business angle, an overlay between sports and business. So that'll be during the 5 o'clock hour. I also have some more from Kyle Sample as well. And Tucker Sargent, efforting him to swing by as well. University of Montana lacrosse team. A huge win over the weekend. Got some fun stuff coming up here on Nuanas. Now we gave you the Grizz Greats painting last week. Congratulations to our winner, Aaron. He will swing by and uh, pick up his great prize. I actually have two of them made, so if you still see one in the studio on display, uh, that's the other one that we had made. But if you didn't win, but you want a copy of the painting or a poster version or a sweatshirt or T-shirt version, go to rbagley3.com. You can order those today. I'll have some cue cards available as well, so you can scan the code and just go straight to the website. Uh, But we got some good stuff coming up. Uh, I can't tease it fully until we get it solidified, but potentially some golf uh, giveaways and uh, also maybe some outdoor stuff. And I'll just get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now. If you visit msubookstore.org, free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.